Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. That's our text this morning. And I wanted to begin as you're turning there, and we'll have all the verses of the passages. We're, we're going to be looking at a number of passages this morning. We will have those up on the screen. But I wanted to talk about Proverbs in general just a bit because um, one of the things that's so interesting about Proverbs is often uh, it's two verses together that almost like are a pair, but very often they contrast with one another. The wise man, you know, builds his life on the rock, but the foolish man builds his life on the sand. That would be a comparison or a contrast. And so many of the Proverbs are that way. And the one we're going to be looking at this morning found in chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, is that way. You'll see that as I read it in just a, a, a second here. So if you're there with us, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. It says, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. See the contrast? Path of the righteous, way of the wicked. And one of the reasons why Proverbs does that is it just is helpful. It brings clarity and greater understanding. But there's something else I want you to see here. Um, not only is it a contrast, these are, okay, here you go. You ready? Grammar students, we have any? Anyone? These are similes. You know what a simile is? A simile is a comparison that uses typically these two words, is like, is like. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun. The way of the wicked is like deep waters. There you go. Grammar lesson in church. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Is like. It's to help understand or bring greater clarity. Now, what I want us to see together this morning is we're going to kind of take a deep dive into what is the way of the wicked, what is the path of the righteous? Why are those terms used? So regarding um, the path of the righteous, just generally, the author uses this term is like the morning sun. Now, in northern Indiana, you don't have to be a real early riser to sometimes see the sun rise, right? Because like, the sun doesn't come up till when, 9 o'clock in December or January, something like that. At least I don't think 9 o'clock is early. Maybe some of you are saying, yeah, that's still early. Uh, 5 o'clock is early, okay? 5, 5.30, 6, something like that. But some of you, all of us know, at least to some degree, I hope, what a beautiful sunrise looks like. And especially if you had a chance to be at the ocean, at the beach, somewhere where you literally have this incredible horizon and you see this sun peeking out over the horizon. And some mornings, the sunrise are just breathtaking, aren't they? They're so beautiful. But it's not fully light yet. That's the, that's the principle or that's what he's saying here. The morning sun, the morning sun gives you a hint of light. But this verse, verse 18, is very progressive because as the sun climbs to, to be at the very top of the sky, in our opinion, high noon, one o'clock, whatever time that might be, everything is bright. 
everything is revealed. I think that's what this proverb is talking about. The path of the righteous begins with kind of the light, but it's not at its full flourishing stage till later. And I believe that's true because I believe that in our life as Christians, in our walk as Christians, we gain greater and greater understanding, greater and greater clarity, greater and greater um, ability to really grasp God's purpose, God's plan, who he is. And that's the beauty of being on the path of the righteousness, of the righteous. He talks about the wicked too. But the way of the wicked is deep darkness. So we're gonna kind of dive into those. We actually wanna talk about the way of the wicked first. And there's just some pretty amazing truth and insight into these. So what is the way of the wicked? Verse 19, let me read it again. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. This is so fascinating. They do not know what makes them stumble. Isn't that interesting? They do not know, the wicked, they do not know what makes them stumble. Now, we've all been (laughs) in a situation where there is zero light. I mean, no light. Uh, My wife and I, about a month ago, went camping. And yeah, we cheated. We had a a flashlight, okay. But it, I mean, it was dark. It was dark. What happens when you walk around where it's dark and you have no light? A couple things. Uh, You stub your toe, you fall, you hit your head. All kinds of things can happen. But here's what I want us to see. It's not just saying in this verse that, It's dark. Did you see that phrase? They do not know what makes them stumble. That points to more of an idea of of ignorance, to be honest with you, to not understanding or not knowing. Now, the way of the wicked, the word wicked here is referring to people who don't know God. That's how it's being defined here, okay? So people who don't know God do not understand why they stumble in life, why life is so difficult, why life is so hard. That's kind of the point. They don't know. They don't know why. So that got me thinking, as a Christian, as a person who reads this book and knows this book, like many of you, the Bible tells us why life is hard and why why we stumble. And so... What I want us to do is take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. We'll turn there. Again, verses will be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. And so I gave my life to Christ two months before I turned 19. So I think I would say very, very easily that before I gave my life to Jesus Christ and started reading the Bible, I didn't know that I was inherently a sinner. I thought I was a pretty good guy, okay? But what we're going to see in these verses is we have a sin nature. Look at these verses, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. So I tell you, this is the Apostle Paul. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, 
They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, in the Bible, the term Gentiles, as opposed to the nation of Israel who followed Jehovah God, the Gentiles are typically used as those who are not believers, people who don't follow the true God. And so that's what he's saying there. And look, it uses the term futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Doesn't that sound like they're ignorant? They don't know. They don't understand. They don't have clarity about why life is what it is. Darkened in their understanding, separated from God, ignorant, hard-hearted. That's what they are. And it sounds very much back to Proverbs chapter 419, this term, deep darkness. Okay, I want to talk to you for a moment. Some of you, again, will, will understand some of these terms. But the Bible does really say we have a sin nature. We have a bent toward sin. But I thought people were inherently good. Not according to God's word, we're not. Some of you know, if you know those first couple chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, God created Adam, he created Eve out of Adam. He gave them the garden to enjoy, but he said, don't eat from that tree. And what did they do? They ate from that tree. And what happened? They began to die spiritually and then eventually physically. The scriptures are clear that we inherited that from them. We call it a sin nature. We have a bent toward sinning. That beautiful, precious little baby, that five-year-old who's so cute that, well, probably can't get much older than that because you really see this in nature, I think, as they, as they age. But, you know, just this idea that we inherently are sinners, that's, that's the issue. And here's what's so interesting, back to the Proverbs 419 passage, is that I didn't know that. You probably didn't know that, that you have a bent towards sin. You know, maybe you and I understood before we were Christians and started reading God's word that, you know, I mean, yeah, there are really bad, bad, bad people in the world, but not me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good guy, you know. But what those who are in deep darkness don't get is they have a problem. It's an inherent issue called a sin nature. Okay, that's why we need a savior, right? Because people with a sin nature can't save themselves. We cannot be right before God except through our personal faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross when he died on the, sin, on the cross for our sins. So that's the bent, that's the tendency is to sin. And sin can be defined in more ways than just, you know, committing murder. Sin is rooted in our attitude. Sin is rooted in our words. Sin can be rooted in our behaviors of, of all kinds. But there's another passage, too, that I found really helpful to remember. Um, and that's over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. See, we have this inherent nature that is bent towards sinning. But then we have an attack from somewhere else. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers 
so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Not only do we have this internal bent towards sinning, we have in the spiritual world an enemy. The God of this age is Satan. That's who he's talking about. And Satan has a demonic army, the scriptures teach us, don't they? And so one of Satan's greatest goals is to blind the eyes of those who don't know God or don't know Christ and to keep them in that state, blinded, ignorant, living in deep darkness, as it says in Proverbs 4, verse 19. And that's why we need to preach Christ. That's why you and I need to take seriously the words of Jesus when he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go make disciples of all the nations. Don't just go tell people, be more moral. You know, I, I think often about how sidetracked we Christians can get thinking that if we just create enough rules and laws, everybody will be fine. I mean, we wouldn't usually say that, but I think we can often act that way. The sin issue is only dealt with by God in your heart when you accept what Jesus Christ did for you, forgiven of your sins, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. We're not better than those without Christ, not at all. We're just forgiven. Amen? We're just forgiven. And that's the beauty of the gospel is it's not about us, it's about Jesus and what Jesus did. Yet, there is this battle, this, there is this struggle. And so if you don't understand, if you're a person who doesn't understand that you have a sin nature, a bent towards sin, if you don't understand that there is a spiritual realm in which we live, where Satan and his army are trying to keep you blind to the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, you're gonna pursue something in your life. And what are you gonna pursue? Oh, how about things like power and money and fame and prestige and pleasure and comfort and security through your possessions and self-glory and all these other ways you pursue life or even define success that are empty and hollow and ultimately meaningless. That's what it means to be in de deep darkness. And it leads to frustration and it leads to depression and ultimately, it leads to death and eternity apart from God. That's what it leads to. Let's talk about the path of the righteous. That's the way of the wicked. Let's talk about the path of the righteous. Back to verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full day of life, the full light of day, excuse me. Now, as I've thought about this phrase, the path of the righteous, it's like, well, that's our lives. That's your life and my life after we come to know Jesus Christ. That's the path of the righteous. Not again, righteous because we're so good and wonderful, righteous because we have the righteousness of Christ through faith in him. The path of the righteous 
So as I thought about this, you know, that phrase shining ever brighter to me sounds progressive, like a, like, like something that's you progress in, you grow in, we would say. Just as the sun rising at dawn, there's a little bit of light. That light just gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And here's my understanding of what that's kind of alluding to. And that is, that's what our lives should be spiritually. Brighter and brighter. Understanding more and more what it means to know Christ and walk with Christ and ultimately become like Jesus. And so there's some passages also in the New Testament that to me are so incredible. And as I think about a path, often in a path, after there's a starting point, there's a journey and there's a destination, okay? So I want you to think that way with me that this path that we are on, we're currently in the journey part of this path. But it's really helpful to also know what our destination is. Okay, so I'm gonna hopefully give you some thoughts on that that'll be helpful to you. The journey is daily renewal and transformation. That's how I see it. Again, over in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul writes, Therefore we not, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. So I'm sharing with you that I think our journey, one aspect of it is daily renewal. That's the term that Paul uses in verse 16. We are being renewed day by day. Now, why does something need to be renewed? Um, Because it's broken, because it's gotten off track, because it's dormant, because it's not functioning properly, because it's worn out, because it's faded, whatever. There's something that it is not in its best state. I guess that's my point. Our lifestyle of walking with Jesus and growing in our love for him needs to be daily. Why do you need to be renewed spiritually daily? I need to be renewed spiritually daily because we're still sinners, right? Even though Jesus has forgiven us, forgiven us of our sins, even though Jesus has filled us with his spirit and he's given us all these blessings through himself, we still blow it and we still blow up. <laughs> I think my sin kind of falls into those categories. I blow it and I blow up sometimes. Like get mad, get angry, you know, get frustrated, whatever it might be. And I blow it. And so do you, because we all do. See why we need to be renewed? What does renewal look like to a believer, somebody who's a true believer who blows it? To even in our attitude, even in our words. Let's start with confession of sin. <laughs> confession of our sin. For some of us, it's not that hard to confess our sin to Jesus because we know he'll always say, I forgive you. He always will. It's a lot harder to confess our sin to somebody who we have deeply offended. First of all, you have to humble yourself. That's hard. 
Second of all, you have to come to the point that even if you feel kind of justified in not forgiving them, you aren't. I'm not. Don't you love that the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's Jesus. But sometimes that's difficult to do with other people. So I'm not allowed to do this. If I've offended you and I need to ask your forgiveness, I'm, I, I can't say, okay, I'm, and I'm, hang on just a second because I'm gonna ask you if you'll forgive me, but I need to know that you'll say yes. Uh, doesn't work that way. Paul wrote in Romans 12, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Sometimes it's not possible. But I am always obligated to confess my sin to Jesus first and then to you if I need to ask your forgiveness. My friends, that's renewal. (laughs) That's getting, we would say, that's getting your heart right again. That's saying to the Lord, I was wrong. I sinned. I need your forgiveness. That's renewal. You want to know another practice for daily renewal in your life? Opening the word of God. Reading the word of God. Studying the word of God. But why? Because the word of God renews your mind. Again, we live in a culture. We live in a world. We have our own sinful thoughts that just pop up often, don't we? Go to the word. Go to the word of God. Go to the word of God because it renews our minds. How else are we renewed day by day? Uh, Talk to Jesus. We call it prayer. Talk to him. Talk to him. I want to tell you something, again, not because I'm the great example. I'm not. But something I've been doing for the last several months that has just been pretty life-changing for me in my prayer life. Because my tendency, I'm one of those People that like to have a quiet time in the morning, I get up early, open my Bible, talk to the Lord a little bit, journal sometimes, some of those things. But here's what I've learned to do, because I love to listen to music when I'm driving. I get in the car, I don't turn the radio on for at least five plus minutes, maybe 10, maybe 15 minutes. And I start talking to Jesus like he's sitting in the passenger seat. I just start talking to him. And I talk to him about my day, and I say I want to live as an ambassador for you today. I want your Holy Spirit to fill me. I want to be in tune with your spirit so that as you bring people into my life, circumstances in my life, I handle them the way you want me to because I want to represent you well, Lord Jesus. I talk to him about my struggles. I talk to him about my anxieties. I pray about my family by name, pretty much every single one. I have six grandkids, two married daughters, two son-in-laws, six grandkids. Pray for them. And for some reason, obviously I don't do this with my eyes closed because I'm driving, but for some reason that has felt so much more like natural conversation with a person because he is a person. And that has been very renewing to me because it's not just part of my quiet time where it's almost like, okay, read my Bible, did my journal, prayed for a few things, check, check, check. Now, what I continue to learn and thankfully am growing in, and I, I hope all of us are, is it's about knowing this person, the most incredible, amazing son of God who we get to have a relationship with. And my friends, that is so renewing. 
It renews your heart. It renews your mind. It, re, it even re, renews for me my emotions. It's like, wow, I feel more peace. You know, I pray. I pray through the fruit of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me love. Give me joy. Give me peace. Give me patience. Give me kindness. Give me goodness. Give me faithfulness. Give me gentleness. Give me self-control today. That's what your Spirit says you give. I want that to be in me. I want that to be manifested through me. And I, I'm just sharing these things with you because these things are helpful to me. These are really helpful to me. And, and many of you probably do similar things. But to me, that's so renewing in my heart and in my, in my spirit when I just talk to Jesus. And I try to do it throughout the day. There's something about me getting in my car. It's a good time to talk to Jesus. Sometimes I turn on the NFL station. I'm, I'm just confessing that to you right now. But um, that's renewing. What brings renewal to you? And again, Paul said day by day. The apostle Paul needed to be renewed in his spirit, in his mind, in his heart every day. Uh, do you think we do? I sure do. You sure do. Okay? So this idea of the journey that we are on as the path of the righteous is this daily renewing. Remembering we always have to come back to him. Confess. Be in the word. Talk to him through prayer. And he renews. It's beautiful. It's something he does. But along with renewal, the other thing he does is he transforms us. This is like incredible to me. He transforms us. Second Corinthians 3.18. If you don't know this verse, really reflect on this verse. Again, the words of the Apostle Paul, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into the image of Jesus. Have you been through a season in the last year or two? You don't have to obviously just in your own mind, answer this question, where you've grown. I mean, you've grown spiritually. And many of us would say, would say, yeah, it's been two of the hardest years of my life and I've grown spiritually. Because many of us would say the seasons of our lives which we've grown the most have been the most difficult seasons in terms of life, circumstances. I think my wife and I would both agree with that for us. But have you grown Spiritually, Are you closer to Jesus? Let me ask you to do something that I think, not right now, but do something that will really bless somebody. Here's the thing about being transformed into the image of Jesus. Jesus does not, you know, whisper to us, hey, you know, you were kind of a 80 on the grading scale. You're up to an 85. Yeah, good for you. It doesn't work that way. How do you know that you're really growing and being changed and transformed into the image of Jesus? Because somebody who knows you well tells you. <laughs> That's often the way it is. Sometimes it's you reflect on yourself, say, you know, when I used to sit at a light and I was second in the light and the guy or the woman or the whoever in front of me took more than two seconds when it turned green to go through the light, I don't do that anymore. I'm trying to figure out Why? Well, maybe you're getting the patience of Jesus in your life. 
If you have somebody in your life who you just see they've changed, there's something going on that's kind of beautiful because it's more like Jesus. Tell them. Tell them. It's a blessing for somebody to say, can I tell you something I've noticed about you? You don't talk about yourself nearly as much as you used to. (laughs) In fact, you seem to be more interested in how other people are doing than just sharing all your gripes and grumbles. I think you're really growing. Wouldn't that be a blessing to hear somebody say that to you? (laughs) It is. See, that's the beauty of this transformation. When we all with unveiled face, beholding as the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his image. That's what the verse says. You spend time with Jesus, he wears off on you. (laughs) It's so much more than that because he changes you, my friends. He does. It's incredible how he does that, but he does. We need renewal, and the more we spend time quietly, personally, reflectively in the presence of Jesus, he changes us. He transforms us. And that is so much the goal of the Christian life. Now, I want to share, I already shared a little grammar thing with you. I want to share a theological word with you. Is that okay? You good with that? It's five syllables. I mean, it's pretty heavy duty, okay? It is the word sanctification. Some of you know that word, sanctification. See, that's essentially what I'm talking about today with you. This, our journey, it's set apart for God's purposes. That's the very, that's the definition of sanctification. Ultimately, for believers, it's becoming more and more like Christ. That's what it means. That's the journey. That's the journey. Can I tell you something that's sad to me? And I have been guilty of this, but I think maybe many of us have who've known the Lord. I've known the Lord for over four decades, 40 plus years. Is we've stalled out in our journey spiritually. And sometimes we know that because people will say things like this who've maybe known Jesus for 30 years. You know, I was really committed when I was a Christian in college. Or, you know, the first five years, my wife and I were married and we were extremely involved in our church. We were involved in a Bible study. We were, we were studying the word together. It was awesome. And then if, I, if it's somebody I know and I'm willing to be a little bold, hopefully lovingly bold, I'll say, what happened? Oh, I don't know. We got busy. Oh, isn't that just the best excuse? I just got busy. I got a little sidetracked. I got... You know, and it's like people, they talk about their journey before they got stuck, before they got dormant, before they kind of became stagnant in their walk with Christ. That's not his intention for you. That is not his purpose for you. He doesn't want you to have to reminisce about 20 years ago when you were really walking with Jesus closely. No, what happened? Do you need renewal? (laughs) Do you need a kickstart? Do you need a rededication? A recommitment? And maybe that is some of us today. We really do. The journey, the journey, growth spiritually becoming like Jesus, but there's also 
the destination. This to me is so beautiful. The destination is knowing Jesus deeply. That's the destination. Knowing Jesus deeply. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3.10. I think this was, I think this was Paul's moment of saying, here's what matters most. I really do. When he said, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul knew Jesus when he wrote this. Paul's talking about, I want to know Jesus entirely, comprehensively, holistically. I'll take the suffering. I don't just want the resurrection power of Christ. I want to know Jesus completely. That's his passion. And I am convinced as I have studied scripture, I really am, is that's the destination. It's not what you get done. It's not what you do. It's not what you accumulate. It's knowing Jesus deeply. In fact, I'll say it this way. The destination of our lives as Christians is a deep, personal, first love relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is. I'm going to say that again. The destination of our lives as Christians is a deep, personal love relationship because he's supposed to be our first love with Jesus Christ. For many, 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 many years of my life, I love, I used to say this a lot too, I love the word of God. I'm, I'm a student, I love to learn, I love to share it with other people. This is not the destination. The destination is a person. And if this, and knowing this, and studying this, and, and making this part of my life doesn't lead me to greater love for Jesus Christ, then it's not fulfilling its purpose, ultimately. And that's what I want us to know. Knowing Jesus deeply is the destination. I got one more passage. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Again, the words of the Apostle Paul. And he wrote, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There it is again. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, there are many of you, I would guess, who have heard Romans 8.28, but not with 8.29 attached. Those verses need to go together. Let me tell you why. I've had people who have gone through, been going through like horrible, tragic times, death of a, of a spouse, death, death of a child in a horrible medical diagnosis, whatever it might be, just a painful, difficult time. And somebody has thrown Romans 8.28 out to them. But you know, God works all things together for good. Inference, be happy. Come on. For you know, God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you think that's a blessing? Do you think that ministers to a person living in profound grief? Why? Because we haven't defined the word good 
biblically in its context. Because most of us, when we hear good, mean, oh, great outcome. Exactly what I was hoping for. For those whom he foreknew, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That's the good. See, God's ultimate good, God's ultimate destination is to make you more like Jesus. Not good, pleasant. Not good, easy. Not good, happily ever after. To draw you closer to him so that you would become more like Jesus. That's it. You know, when I, when I put those lenses on and look at life that way, it makes the hard so different in a good way. Because my prayer is, God, I don't understand this. This makes no sense to me. This is horrible. I, I, am, I am so angry. I am so depressed. I am struggling. But there is something you're going to do with this that makes me more like Jesus. Help me to see it. Please. Then help me to live it. Please. And that's when he can bring peace. Amen? That's when he can bring joy. That's when he can get you through the valley. When you're just not kicking and screaming and throwing a fit because he's being so unfair to you. You know he's got a purpose. And I believe scripture's clear that it's to make you more Christ-like. I believe that. And there's nothing that brings greater glory to him than that. So here's a summary statement of my message this morning. I'll just say it. God's path for your life is more about who you are becoming than about what you are accomplishing. That's what the book says. So maybe instead of saying to young children, what do you want to be when you grow up? We should ask, who do you want to be when you grow up? Maybe instead of asking college students, hey, what's your major? We should ask, what's your plan for your personal spiritual growth this year? And maybe instead of reminiscing about a time years or decades ago when we were just, quote, on fire for the Lord, spiritually vibrant, growing in the word, growing in our walk with Christ, instead of just reminiscing about that day, How about saying today, Lord, I'm starting anew. I am recommitting myself to getting back in the journey and on the journey and on the path. Help me. I think he smiles when he hears that prayer. Is that what you need to do today? Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we are so needy, but you are the great provider. We are so flawed, and yet you are the one who transforms. We could be so self-serving and self-centered and impatient 
and angry and irritated and on and on and on it goes, Lord, but you want us to be like your son, full of grace, full of love, full of kindness. We need you to help us do that. Lord, teach us how to be renewed day by day. Lord, create within us a longing to go deep in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he will change us. He will make us more like himself. And we do desire that, Father. I pray this morning, Lord, for any of my dear, dear brothers and sisters who really feel very, very stuck, very stagnant, very dormant in their walk with you. That maybe this morning is the morning of confession for them, the morning of recommitment for them. And I believe that you love to hear that prayer from your children. So Father, give us a passion to know you deeply. Help us also to bless and encourage one another because we're all on a journey together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.